everybody. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of August 31st, 2022. I'm Charles Hayne here on a treadmill desk. If you're joining us for video, because we're doing video for the first time, I'm here with editor-in-chief of No Film School, George Edelman. Hello. I am here with filmmaker Gigi Hawkins. Hello. And I'm here with Todd Blankenship, cinematographer, YouTuber, Texan extraordinaire. This week, we're going to be talking about diversity issues at the new Warner Brothers Discovery. We are going to be talking about hiring, which we promised to talk about last week, and we didn't get there, but we will get there this week, we swear. And we're going to be talking about taking big swings and when you should be making decisions about when it's time to quit the day job, when it's time to level up, when it's time to be safe. That is this week on the No Film School Podcast. All right, top story this week. We've been talking about Warner Brothers Discovery a lot. I know it might seem super high-end and corporate to some people who are like, well, I'm not pitching projects there right now. But I think there's a lot of implications for filmmaking in general as we watch sort of the streamers go through their consolidation. And, and the specific story we're going to talk about this week is a reverse of every other story here. Most modern corporations are trying to diversify. And uh, Warner Brothers Discovery is, is willingly going through a you know, do we need to be diverse moment, yeah. which is kind of a strange thing for a company to think about. And one of the internal reports we've now been getting is that not only are they calling some content, they're calling people. There have been layoffs, of course, that's going to happen. And a lot of the layoffs seem to have created a more white male executive team which is an interesting move in 2022. Apparently, the internal strategy is to aim directly at the heartland, which, like, it's HBO. Everybody, like, you know, in Illinois, when I grew up, like, the fancy people at HBO, like, we didn't have it, but, like, our neighbors had it. We'd go over and watch HBO shows in the 80s. But, like, when the big comedy specials would happen, we'd go to their house. He was a lawyer. We all remember this You remember so well. that, like, that old 80s intro that they used to have? I still love it. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it feels like being in a rich person's house to me because our neighbors had it and we didn't. (laughs) What Uh, was the intro? I'll put a a link in the in the show notes. It's pretty great. Pretty, pretty great. (laughs) To me, Uh, I associated it with just good movies because it would be like, yes, because like my dad or someone would tape something off HBO. And so if I rewatched something for the hundredth time, I would see that intro. He's so excited. Anyway, that's that has nothing to do with anything. (laughs) Well, it's just sort of an interesting thing to think about as we think about, like, what's going to happen at HBO now. Like, changes are, executive level changes will always affect the kind of projects you are able to get. And, like, everybody knows the story of a filmmaker that had something set up at a studio and then, you know, the old team left and the new team comes in and they want their own projects, even if the old projects are good. The number of projects that got lost to the world because... There was another pro, you know, somebody wanted to put their stamp on things. It's really interesting. The the big thing that I took away from the article was um, that they would like it to be like the Chip and Joanna, Chip and Joanna Gaines channel, twenty four seven. Which, mm. like, first off, twenty four seven doesn't Lord. mean anything in the streaming era. Like, twenty four seven is the worst a thing I've ever heard said. <laughs> yeah, but it, it also it kind of terrible. It also goes to show how off their thinking is if they're yes. saying, yeah, twenty four seven. We're showing Chip and Joanna content. Yeah, but it's like, it's, know, not a, it's not a cable them. channel. You don't right, have a spreadsheet right. on the wall showing what's showing when. 24-7 is not the term used in streaming. If you're still I, I thinking think, 24-7, you shouldn't be running a streaming site. I think it's really funny to point out that the bigger problem, that, that whatever our opinions are of the 
this the decision in terms of targeting what audience. <laughs> the idea of thinking that it's about being 24-7 nowadays is like, yeah, it's uh it's all 24-7 now, by the way. Everything. <laughs> Everything's available at any time. They clearly have their finger right on the pulse over there. <laughs> of they really know what, what <laughs> right, needs to be done. Right. Like, is everything going poorly for HBO Max right now? Or whatever it is called. I don't even I don't even want to acknowledge HBO whatever it's doing. So like it's it you know sounds what? like well, no, it sounds like they're trying overlords. to fix problems that don't exist. HBO I was think, doing so well they got sold. They succeeded into getting sold, and that's their drama. I think that what is going on strategically, and I do think there's a way to wind this to the filmmaker and not just mm-hmm. to people who follow what's happening in the industry at the high level from a news standpoint, or even who are curious about releases or programming. But I think what's happening is Warner Brothers is trying to carve out a niche. It's struggled in some ways. We're not talking about HBO is like a piece of this big, big thing. Discovery and Warner are like the big umbrellas. And I think Warner Brothers as a studio, you know, you're looking at like where, what does Disney do? It does like kids and nostalgia. And what does uh, Netflix do? Everything. I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> what is, um, what is, <laughs> Literally uh, everything. What does Apple do? Apple just does whatever the hell it wants because it has so much money. Uh, what does Amazon do? Like, so everybody, yeah, premium, premium. So everybody has like, they're trying to carve out their niches in the streaming wars, blah, 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 studio wars. Like in the old, old, old days, like in the, in the early era of movie making, studios had a genre almost. Like Warner's mm. was known for gangster stuff or crime and like MGM was known for its big name stars. And so, so I think that kind of like that, they are thinking, what is a market that nobody else is really focused on that we can nail? And this is just me spitballing here. But I think that saying, you know, so much of Hollywood is perceived as, and so many of us are perceived as being kind of like liberal skewing and diversity and wokeness. And like, what if we decided we were just going to be like the good old, you know, you know, <laughs> the good old Let's style the stuff. Baseball, like, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> yeah. Like, what if we just nail that and we know the, the, that audience exists and we know maybe that if we really, without it becoming like, quote unquote, political, but just being kind of like, this is our genre, this is our style, this is the vibe we're after, and maybe we will, we will have a pretty, because we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, it does apply to filmmakers. There are very big audiences out there that aren't the audience of everyone that like a lot of movies and studios and TV shows are going for. There's all these like kind of like sectors you could hit and have a lot of success with. So I think that they're like, we're going to nail this sector. And this hey, one Fox is available News has to been get. doing really well. Yeah, so exactly. Maybe. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, mean, no, Gigi, I, I, think, think, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's it, they're like Yellowstone did really well. Let, what can we buy more Duttons? How, like what are the Duttons doing in like the future? Can we have the future Duttons? Like, how many, well, how many decades well, of Duttons? There's a flashback Dutton show, right? Isn't there an 1893 yeah, Dutton yeah, show? No, I, I, so there's they're two. They're going to go through the There Duttons. was, there was yeah. 1883, and then there was, there's a new one that Harrison Ford is in that is like 1930s or 20s. And I think they're doing Kevin Costner's picking up his story again. And so I watched, so I watched a couple episodes of 1883. I did an interview with the cinematographer on it, on, on the podcast, which you can all listen to. And... I watched it because I love Westerns, not just because I was doing it. I was like, oh, great, Western, I'm in. And I was pretty unhappy 
because I mm. feel like not not even getting into quality of content because I feel like it was very outdated in its approach to some traditional Western tropes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, like you're really going to do this these days? Like this is how you're going to come in with like the the scary, evil, you know, indigenous people and the poor white woman who they've captured. Like that's what you're going to, that's your cold open. Like it's just like, it was, it was kind of shocking to me. And I think it was not an accident. I think that it was, I think that those, like, I think that that's exactly what, what we're talking about. It's like, I think that there is a, like, they're also like, no, no, we're going to be, we're going to both sides it. And of course they do, you know, they don't really take a stance stance, but I think there's no question that just like, looking at any, you know, big old audience out there that they're like, we want to carve out this little piece and we're going to, we're going to crush well, it. Well, I mean, honestly, know- the the main Yellowstone show, I watched a, a bit of it during the pandemic stuff and like, it it kind of plays that, it plays, it's really good at, at towing the line where like either side can see it the way that they want to mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. And and I I definitely thought that many times where like, I, I'm sure there's some some people in certain parts of the country that are like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, when when really they should be like, oh, that's horrifying. Like that's really not good. They shouldn't be doing but, that. But if you present it in a certain way, you could go either way on it, right? Yeah. You could be yeah. like, no, 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 we don't, we don't like this. This is this is bad guy stuff. <laughs> it's like, mm. um, yeah. I, so I that could be a part of it. I think there's something really interesting you highlight though in the the desire for corporations to have a brand that has a meaning for an audience. Because like, there's that thing that famously when Steve Jobs was thinking about doing Pixar, he was like, well, I looked at Hollywood and the only brand that means anything is Disney. The only mm-hmm. thing that anyone in the audience knows is you hear Disney and you know, oh, I can take my kid. But like right. anyone who doesn't live in Los Angeles has no idea that Universal used to be known for monster movies. Unless you're like a college Let's go to professor. horror nights where they shove yeah. it down your throat. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. But sure. But even that is only if you live in L.A. or L.A. LA. But like, yeah. yeah. And I, like, so it's one of those things that like, the desire to create a brand is something that I think gets really drilled into business folks of like, mm-hmm. well, we need an aura. We need something above and beyond. We need a sensation, a connection, an emotion, and a feeling. And yeah, I mean, I do think, but what's weird to me is that Disney has done it, but yet has left Pixar alone as its own separate thing right. and owns ESPN. ESPN has its own streaming platform. Doesn't have the same meaning. I don't immediately think with my daughter, I can just Kids. turn on ESPN plus and and leave her in the room and walk away the way I feel like I could <laughs> yeah, with Disney yeah. Plus. And Hulu is its weird right. own, like, we're going to have shows for adults in which people get murdered is basically. They're I think really, the I think they're really good at acquiring stuff and kind of letting it go be its own thing under right. their umbrella. But I was going to ask you guys so all why because not I do want to keep. HBO alone? Yeah, I know. It seems like the obvious thing to do is like, this is our adult, like, rich, fancy people thing. And we do yeah. this other thing on these other brands because nobody knows. Most people don't know HBO is part of Warner Brothers, nor do, nor should they right. care. Or, but I was going to ask all of you guys. People in Arkansas watched Game of Thrones. Right. Oh, everybody, right. everybody's South, watching like, it every, again, right? Yeah. So, like, <laughs> why are you like, you know what we need? We need Game of Thrones to be melded in brand with Chip and Joanna Gaines. It's Those should be the thing. same brands. I think it's an yeah. ego thing, and I think it's like... It, people very high up wanting to have their fingerprints and taking a big swing, but like at least feeling like they're doing something because I've seen from my years working in business and advertising, like the need and desire, like to, as Charles, you were saying, put your, like build a brand and have it resonate. But like, 
you also need to stick with it and there needs to be longevity. And I think that like, yes, there's a strategy here, but I, I think it's short-sighted and in that there's like so much work that had, has already gone into it. And there's so much affinity for the HBO brand that it just isn't logical. It, it doesn't make business sense. And so I do think it's like people at sort of the end of their career seeing it's like the last thing, that opportunity that they have to make an impact. And so they're like, we're going to do it this way. And yeah, I do have to say that I had a moment in the last two weeks of feeling the imprint of Disney because I was working at a summer camp and all the 13 year olds started singing like Moana and Frozen. And that's like past my generation. Like I'm too old for that. And I was like, and they knew all the words. And I was like, wow, like Disney is a powerhouse. Like, and, and it, they've engineered joy in so many people. And so let's give a shout out to Disney as insane. <laughs> I as they know are. all the words to those because of my kids. Oh yeah. So there's <laughs> also that. Could- that's like we could do a treat the three of the three dads. Yeah, here we could, could definitely do a trio of <laughs> we could harmonize. Them. I don't think it would sound that. good, but <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I I want to ask everybody because we're talking about brands and corporate things, but we've also talked about with directors and filmmakers trying to be brands or trying to be have an identity. Charles mm-hmm. has brought up the quote many times from the great Oh John Waters. John Waters quote. Yeah. But so I think like here's the thing. Should a filmmaker be strategizing like this is my brand or my voice because I'll tell you something like the only feature that I did was horror comedy and I felt like that was the thing like there was a lot of crappy cheap horror that kind of came my way after not like on a large scale but on a small scale and I was like I don't want to do this mm. like, <laughs> like I just made that because it made sense to make that at the time like it was it's like so I think there's a reality to everybody wants the high level like bird's eye view, like, what are you? What's your company? What's your identity? What's your style? What's your blah, blah, blah? What box can I put you in as quickly as possible? What as fair or not, not most of the time. But so like for you guys, do you think about that with the projects you undertake? Do you think like, this is how I want to be defined from the get go? I want everyone to see me in this context. I'm this brand. I I was thinking about this today, actually, because I, I do some work in development and I received a writer's brand deck and it was like a link to a Canva page and it had her like bio, her sort of like, I'm do this, 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 and like three projects. And I was like, oh, this is like a succinct way for understanding where she fits in some rooms that I think she'd be great in. And then I was like, oh, do I need that? Like, should I be building one of these? And I do think it's helpful, especially in the earlier phase as you're figuring out what your voice is to be able to like label yourself. Do we believe in labels? I don't know. But like, I, I feel like it helps me articulate and helps me better understand what types of stories I want to tell. So I'm, I'm pro branding. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's more like, like a organic thing that just happens. I feel like, because people like, who initially came to my mind are two filmmakers, Ari Aster and Robert Eggers. Like they, they came out of the gate with kind of a solid statement about this is the type of filmmaker I'm going to be. And they've kind of stuck to that. But then Eggers kind of went a little bit of a different direction with Northman in some regards. And so I think it's like one of those things where like maybe starting out, it's a good idea to sort of like have a, a an intention. I, I guess if nothing else, just starting with what you know you're good at or, or have, have good sensibilities towards. 
Um, I mean, I personally, I don't really, I don't feel like I have the luxury of like trying to have a brand. I just like, I want to be involved in movies in whatever p- way people will let me be. <laughs> so I'll shoot whatever you want me to shoot. I don't, I don't give a damn. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Have you ever wanted to watch something and it's just not available in your region? Have you ever been curious what UK Netflix or maybe some other country's version of some of the popular streamers has available that your local one doesn't? Well, there's something called NordVPN. And by using NordVPN, with the click of a button, you can access all kinds of content that maybe you didn't even know existed. With 5,000 plus server options, no show is out of your reach. So use my link, nordvpn.com forward slash nofilmschool, and you can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan plus one free month. We all love to binge shows, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. We all love watching and streaming all these shows, but we also care about our privacy, and NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. And they've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. So say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection will kick in and delete it before it makes a mess of your computer or whatever device you're using. So don't forget that there is actually no risk to you by trying this because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. So give it a try. If you like it, great. If you don't, you get a full refund and you can pretend the whole thing never happened. Check out my link, nordvpn.com forward slash nofilmschool to get your subscription started today. Well, I, I think it is this weird thing of like, it does help other people know who you are. And what I think happens in a lot of people's careers is you find a thing that you can do well you're like, oh, I can do this shit well. I know a lot about, I, you know, I was reading an interview with someone who coincidentally I went to school with who got on Hidden Figures. And she was, and you know, in the interview, she was talking about like, I grew up NASA. I grew up in Orlando. My family worked at NASA. Like it helped a lot in my pitch as to why I was the one to get to write this, that I grew up at NASA. And so it's like, what are the things you have deep knowledge of that you can get yourself on a pitch? And you can be like, no, 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 no. I'm the one who actually knows this. So I need to be the one to do this. The classic Coppola quote where they only hired Coppola for Godfather because he was Italian. And he was like, I'll put spaghetti on the pages, which I like, I love. And so thinking about that, the world wants to think of you in a certain way. But then once you use that to level up, you're going to spend the rest of your career trying to roll out from under it. As Coppola has spent 50 years trying to roll out into different interesting, and many of them have been cool. I love uh, The Outsiders and a bunch of other stuff. Coppola's. So you put yourself in a box to level up. 
to get somewhere that you want to go because it makes it easier. And then you spend the rest of your career trying to roll out of that box to do other stuff you're interested in. And maybe some stuff you're never interested in. Like I never want to do a Raytheon ad. I don't know what a Raytheon ad would look like. They don't seem to advertise, but if they did, I, I wouldn't want that job. So there's stuff I'm just like not into. But yeah, I think in the beginning, especially like as a DP being like, I do a lot of action or I do a lot of sports or I, I'm really good at like, I'm really good at moving camera is a way. Cause then when six months later, a job comes up, you think about that DP where you're like, oh, I have a job and it's like really in alignment with the stuff I've seen that DP do. And it helps you get remembered as opposed I to starting as a generalist. I think that's the key that like in all of your answers I've heard, because what Todd sort of mentioned I, makes me realize like if you're, if you're a DP or maybe if you're an editor, then your, your approach might be a little bit, look, I just want to get on set. I want to crush it. I want to add to my reel. I want to show that I can do all kinds of stuff. But if you're a writer, like, cause I, I was in a lot of rooms taking generals and like, what do you have? We like your vibe. We like some of your stuff, but like, what do you have? And you know, what do you like? There were oftentimes I would get these questions with my, my partner at the time and was like, what? And we would always say like Cohen brothers, but that doesn't really help because they're so unique. And everybody was just kind of like, yeah, okay, well, you're not them. <laughs> Like you're something else, but you're not them. Like nobody is, they're them. And so you can't, you have to be like, like they aren't hindsight. even them anymore. <laughs> right. They're, <laughs> yeah, it's impossible to peg down. Like, so what you might say is like, if you really plant your flag in something, I think like I make these, like, <laughs> like I love and I make these, even if it's not true. And like you said, Charles, you're going to crawl out from under it. There might be people who are just like, that's the, those guy or girl. I know to call them when it comes up. Yeah. Like, even if it's an, an open writing opportunity, there's like so many people who are like, yeah, I, I can do anything. I'm just great at this and I love it. But if there's somebody who's just like, I only do this, like, and I love it. Like, maybe there's a way that that becomes kind of your, like, because you, like you said about Eggers, and although he's shifted now too, but like coming out with the, I'm going to dress in black. I'm going to have weird rings on. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the guy that you think of when you think of hor weird, weird horror stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that to me sounds like a really good tactic now, nowadays. That is funny when to I think was about though. Like, I was like, no, I'm, I'm just great. I'm just going to be great. I'm just going to be awesome. You know, it is, it is so easy to get like typecast in any sort of crew position in filmmaking. Like, like you were talking about, like there, there are like, I get called a lot for, like really moving camera stuff like like musical performances like in, any gimbal-y kind of stuff like for whatever reason like I'm who pops into people's head but then like I have a friend who's like I think I, I guess what I'm talking about is like it's kind of good to know what people think you're good at like I have a friend who's he's like a landscape photographer and he has this like eye that I just I know I don't have like he he just like knows how to capture something where I'm like well shit that's better than I would have done so anytime I need like atmospheric kind of establishing shots he's the first guy i think of but he's equally capable of anything else but it's just funny how that happens like you just become the the that person i guess i i don't have an opinion on whether or not that's a good thing because obviously it leads to work but then it also kind of makes it where you don't get to do the kind of other stuff that is a little more outside of your wheelhouse and get better at that other stuff and, and you know you can get kind of stagnant in that in that sort of environment so i don't know that's kind of an interesting thing I've had to crawl myself out from under the business box. I've been put in that box. And when I left my, I left that career to pursue filmmaking, people would still email me 
and all the time, like offering me jobs. And it was like saying no to money and saying no to, it was really hard, especially in, because like I wasn't making money at the time. And I had, but I had to like draw a line and say like, I don't do that anymore. I am a writer director. Like it was, and, and I think it took a lot of people that I had worked with when I was on the business side at Gimlet, a lot of like podcast people who were on the creative side, like eight times before they finally like actually believed me. And, and they'd be like, you sure? sure? Because like, like, no, seriously. Yeah, I'm like, stop emailing me about this. <laughs> Just talk. Stop trying to give me money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, but it also goes back to that whole thing I always talk about in terms of cash flow and ambition, which is you need to have cash flow and you might still have ambition. And like Scorsese talked about for a long time, like he did one for them and one for him, which is funny because some of the mm-hmm. ones that you think of as being ones for them, I actually also really like. Like Cape Fear is great. And apparently that was one for the studio, but like Cape Fear rocks. Both the Cape Fear movies, I think, are wonderful. But so there is that thing of like, you know, we need cash flow. So we need that landscape working cash flow. But if that person, the the landscape uh, shooter, you know, really wants to break into music videos, then you go out for a lesser rate on the stuff you really want to do. You go out and, you know, that's why it's so funny. I was so surprised when I discovered I have a friend who's like a very high end commercial DP and he until very recently, still did one or two free spec jobs a year. And the directors doing them would be huge people, like famous people. And they'd be doing a spec commercial. And I'd be like, well, what do you, why are you guys all doing spec stuff? Like, I, I've heard of this person. They're famous. And it's like, well, the, the reel has to stay current. And most of the shit you get paid good money for is kind of boring. Like, especially in commercials, the, the creative that the agency finally approves is never as interesting as the originally pitched creative. And like, mm. If you want to keep your work current and keep booking those boring jobs, you need to do a spec every year or two that's weird as shit and really mm-hmm. good. And I was like, oh. And he's like, yeah, the DP and director don't get paid. And then we pay all the crew their normal rates. So it still looks like a commercial and we have a commercial crew. But like, yeah, big time people who like own Aston Martins were still doing spec shit. And I was like, oh, because that's the stuff that paid for the Aston Martin is probably not as fun as that weird spec thing you did. And yeah. that's like, forever and this fantasy we have of like i'll reach a place in my career where there is no more balance between cash flow and ambition i think is not gonna happen i feel like i've heard this quote attributed to so many people but there's a version of it where it's steve martin and there's a version of it where it's michael kane but they're like on a talk show and someone asks them if they liked like some movie they just did and they're like well i like the painting that it bought (laughs) it's just like yeah i mean you know Money yeah. sometimes is money. I, I heard that about Michael Caine in Jaws 3, where someone yeah, was I like, think Do you I've remember? Heard the Jaws 3. Yeah. Do you remember doing heard, Jaws 3? I've heard a Steve Martin version. Yeah. So maybe he just did it too. It's a good bit. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, Steve Martin's not really a bit stealer, though. So maybe they did That's it together, true. like Michael Caine and Steve Martin as a, as a, as a yes. gag team. Regardless, we've gone a long way from HBO Max, but we've pivoted. <laughs> yeah, we, no, but we've pivoted kind of gently to our next topic, which is. When do you know when to take big swings? Because if you have cash flow and ambition, there's going to be moments where cash flow and ambition are in conflict, where you're getting offers for your cash flow. You know, I regularly talk to people who are like, I have a day job and my freelance career is starting to pick up. I'm starting to get more shooting jobs on the weekend. I'm starting to direct these little things. Like, what is the moment where I'm like, I should do this? And there's like a lot of different answers. I mean, it can be, it can be incredibly difficult to know when the moment is that you're like, I should go out and take the swing. You know, one of the things I do like to say is that the world will tell you a lot about when it's time. Like, 
if if you're like, oh, should I go do an indie feature now? And like, you don't know any actors, you don't know DP, you don't know any producers, you don't like, like, there's not a whole network infrastructure you've built up while you still have your day job. Mm-hmm. Maybe now is not the time to go out and spend $200,000 of your own money on an indie feature because you've saved up the money, sure. But like, you haven't built the infrastructure, like the world will sort of, it shouldn't feel impossible. It should feel like just barely out of your reach. If mm-hmm. it feels impossible, that's usually telling you something, I think. I couldn't agree more because I think that there's, uh, as much as this sounds esoteric and hard to turn into something tangible or active, I think that there's a clear, for me, I hope other people have this too, but for me, there can be a clear like, oh, that's going to be like, sometimes what feel, if and the impossible feeling is a sign that it's not a good idea. Like if something really feels impossible to you, it's, it's, it's a bad idea. And I think that, <laughs> that you got to trust that. Like if it feels like, oh man, it's going to be so hard. That's not impossible. Well, no, but I, and to be clear, we're not talking about an entire arc of a career. Like if you're 19 and you're like, man, being a filmmaker seems impossible. Like that's normal. It does seem impossible. It's very mm-hmm. hard. You'll figure it out. It's fine. We're talking about specifically like you have a day job and you're like, but I've got this script and should I just go quit my day job and do it? That's what we're talking about. And there are people who do it and, and make the movie and sell the movie and launch a career. Doable. I'm not saying it's not doable, but usually a lot of things start to fall. Like the people I've been around who did it or, you know, when I directed a feature or when I started a company, like when I started a company, a bunch of shit came together. Like it wasn't just I fucking put a stake in the ground. It was like I, I found a partner. They were excited about doing it. We found a space. Mm-hmm. People started like literally as soon as we had an office, we had like three of our old friends who were like, we'd like to work here. Can we just start showing up every day until you guys have jobs? And then like within a week we had jobs, like because we had already been around the industry for long enough, we had some connections, we had some relationships, things started happening. If you are in rural Arkansas, which is a beautiful place. And I've spent some time in Wilson and you're like, I'm going to go to LA and start a production company. That's probably putting the cart before the horse. Like you might want to be like, all right, I'm going to go to LA for five years. I'm going to work for other people. I'm going to build some relationships. So when I start my production company, like, I already have a wealth of connections and relationships and they're all going to come together into a thing. And that's what I'm talking about in terms of like big swings is I think more in terms of incremental steps because yeah. it's like, there's a, I've, I remember around the time we started our production company, like three or four of my friends started production companies, quote unquote. And like, it didn't happen. Like they were like, I'm starting a production company and then nothing came of it. And it's like, there's like a momentum to the universe where you're like, you set an intention you start moving in that direction, but then other things have to sort of come in too. And you have to have built yourself to a place where that happens. So I think big swings, I think things that look like big swings from the outside, like for friends in my life who are like, you started a production company and within a year you had like 6,000 square foot office and you had like 12 employees and like it was Oscar nominated while I was there. After I moved to New York, they went on Oscar at that production company. Like people think of that as a big swing, but like really there were five years of stuff before that of like, my partner right. and I freelancing on stuff and building relationships and having clients. And like, we'd already had two years of like, so it wasn't like out of nowhere, there was nothing. And then there was something, which probably does happen. I mean, apparently that happened with Facebook because they just wrote some code and people were like, I'm going to rank the hotness of people. And then they were billionaires. That does happen. That's not a film industry story. That is a tech yeah. story. In film, you have to have all these relationships and connections because it's a connections business. And it took us I think that years. that story is also like the film version of that story is kind of like they didn't invest a whole lot. Like they didn't really take a big swing. They did. They took a small swing that happened. It was like a bunt that turned into a grand slam. Like sometimes weird, crazy shit happens in the universe. That's like, 
whoa, I didn't know that that was what was hiding behind that rock. But I think that in like what you're talking about is, yeah, go go with the the thing that feels like this is doable now in my life. But sometimes, sometimes people do pull off something that seems impossible and it's amazing. Yeah. It, it does happen. It totally does. But I'm also, I'm a big fan of incrementalism. Like, I think if your goals are big and broad enough, then any progress to the goal is a good one. And you don't necessarily have to quit your job and move across the country and, and, and rob a bank to make a movie. You can just make a movie within the means of what you have available to you now. You can take a risky job now. You can keep moving yourself forward in the direction you want to go. Big swings can be tricky. I mean, I will say this. I, I know more people who took big swings and then left film altogether because they took a big swing and it didn't work out. And they were like, fuck this. And they're like lawyers now or they work in healthcare in Florida. And mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. a lot of the people I know who are most successful now did three years as someone's assistant. Like, and stuck in the game. I remember really early when I moved to LA, I made a friend, really good guy, Hugh Petty, who was like, just stay in the game. Just stay in the game. Just stay in the game. Like so many people just like, something doesn't work out. They have one opportunity go not go the way they thought it was going to go. And they're just like, fuck this. I used to have a joke with a friend that we should start a, um, I did my time in LA. I gave it a shot business where you got a three month apartment. You got headshots. You got to do a showcase, but yeah. you didn't have to sign a year lease and you could just show up and you could do your three months. You could always say you gave it a shot. I yeah. gave it a shot and you know, just stay in the game. So I know so many people that that happened to. It just stuck around and something happened. It's true. I definitely feel like there's, it is obviously the long game. That's, the only way it's going to work out. And, and there are many sayings, but the concept of like, and there's no such thing as an overnight success. It's like years in the making, but I'm, I came across a predicament this last month that was, you know, basically do I decide to keep my, my day job that gives me a lot of exposure to the industry that I've been working on for like five months or do I go participate in a writing lab and, you know, all the work that I've put into developing a script and learning to write for the last, you know, three and a half years, four years since I left my career, do I get recognized and celebrate myself as a writer for the first time? And it was like one of the hardest decisions of my life because it's like, do I get the immediate gratification of being seen as a creative, which uh, you, as you guys know, and as I referenced earlier, is like one of my, it's my biggest baggage is like not being that being creative adjacent, or do I stay somewhere with the opportunity, like potentially down the line that, you know, it, it, but it's no promises, you know, where I'm doing a job where I don't get to write and I don't get to continue to hone my craft, but rather like I get exposure to stuff and I get to read scripts and yeah, it was like one of, it was very hard. I also think I didn't, I felt like I had the wisdom to know that it wasn't going to be the end of the world either way. So I did cry a bunch, but I didn't cry at the level and have the anxiety at the level that I would have had two years ago, even. So, so if you don't mind sharing, where, where are we at in the decision-making process? What have we, uh, <laughs> where have we landed? <laughs> We're after the crying. Yeah, I, mean... I, I've stopped crying. Um, <laughs> I've dried my tears. I do think it's important to cry. In, oh yeah, in general. Uh, but I decided to take 
the big swing and double down on myself as a writer. Right on. Um, Congrats. So how long is the how long is the lab? It's a two week lab and um, and then like a years long process after that. Uh, and and your day job wanted you to didn't want to give you up for those two weeks. Yeah, I didn't. The timing was, um, you know, very. I actually don't want to talk. It was about not. It was not, a, it was not good time. It was not good time for the day job. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. And like, it actually was a very honest conversation over the course of a couple of weeks talking about what is needed. And, you know, I had to have an honest conversation with myself and a bunch of other trusted people who work in the industry about like, like, is there a, a sunk cost if I give up this lab that, ha it, you know, they invite six projects out of like over 500 applications. So it's like harder to get into than the Ivy League school. And I went to Michigan. So, you know, maybe my that will help my dad understand this choice. But yeah, so I I was like, I know I, I would rather take the swing than sit, stay in the job and resent, feel resentful. Well, that's uh, congrats on on getting through that decision making process. I mean, that stuff yeah. is we're never, in, never. We're easy. in the midst of a big swing being taken. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I feel topic. like I am right here. About, <laughs> yeah. Now that we have a video we're in the podcast, middle. Yeah, you I can, can show yeah. you. <laughs> we can um, mime things. This is great. Yes, that was some space uh, object work for our listeners. I was holding a bat and I was waiting mm. for the pitch. Yeah, this uh, that is cool. And I feel like talking through or talking about or, or relating what the decision-making process is, is valuable for people because they're faced with these kinds of things frequently. Where it's like, where am I? What's the right move here? How do I sustain? I mean, like we talked about on the podcast recently, but some of our most popular recent posts were sort of about the challenges of survival, financial survival in this industry or around these, this city that I'm in right now and you're in, Gigi, but also the city that Charles is in. I mean, and obviously no, Brooklyn with is housing very prices affordable. across this country. Uh, Brooklyn <laughs> huh? is, I can, I can easily yeah. afford my life in Brooklyn. Uh, I never worry about it. I'm not constantly stressed about <laughs> The cost of living. Even where Todd is is probably crazy because houses are everything's crazy right well, now. I, I, pricing wise, I mean, I, he doesn't have the same tax problems. But. It is definitely, it is definitely a, a a weird time. It's it's like it's very very hard to take big swings right now. And I mean, I'll I'll kind of bear my soul a little bit. I am sort of three years down the line from a big swing, and I have had a lot of ups and downs. And the big swing didn't necessarily work out how I wanted it to, but there have been other like sort of good aspects of it in hindsight and all that. I think I'm kind of soured to the big swing because the pandemic happened right right after I took it. And so, uh, you know, things got a little dicey. All things considered, I think I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did what I did. I've met a lot of cool people as a result of that decision. And I think... I, I feel like you're here because of that. Oh, yeah. For sure. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I <laughs> like, think... Like, well, that's how we found you. Yeah, that is, one of the cool that things a, that happens. So, yeah, yeah, that's very true. And I, I think, yeah, it's it's just like, I, right now, I am in a phase of sort of like, I need to take a big swing again. I need to figure out what the next the next season, what the next phase is going to look like. And, and you know, because right now, I'm kind of stuck in this, like, gigging thing where it's just like, I'm just gigging, you know? I'm kind of sick of it. And, and the economy is getting kind of rough. And, you know, there's like, Trump signs everywhere outside. I'm like, what's, what am I going to do? Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what, what, like, other than to say, like, I think 
the biggest, the most common question I've ever been asked in this, and I think probably all of us have been asked this before is like, how do I go freelance? And, and, you know, my first answer is always like, uh, just make sure you got some mailbox money of some sort, you know, and that, and it makes, it makes everything so much easier if you have that. And so that to me, like in terms of taking a big swing, that helps. If you don't have that, that's kind of, you know, one of those things where you just, you know, hopefully you have some savings or, or some, some, some padding to make things work out for a little while. And I think something like a writing lab, like you're essentially like, you know, cramming into, I don't really know what all goes into that, but um, I'm assuming you do a lot of writing. And so uh, I like, that's like being sort of forced into like doing a thing that you should have been doing while you were working anyway. And, mm-hmm. and like here, I like, I think my biggest frustration with where I'm at is like, I have absolutely no time for writing. I have no time for like working on a lot of the smaller things I want to do for myself because, you know, I'm just keeping the, the bills paid and whatnot. But I think that's a great risk to take, I think, because, because you, like you said, you, you, you're sick of being put in this corporate box, the business box, you're a creative and you want people to recognize you as that. And I think in every story, like, I think we've fantasize these stories about you know all, all of our favorite filmmakers took a chance like this at some point like every single one of them and and that is terrifying that's very terrifying and hard to reckon with when you're scared and you feel alone and you feel like well, I'm not good enough but you just have to do it you have to do it and i think uh, charles what you said really rings true to me it's that you your your life will kind of tell you if you listen to the signs and the things happening around you you're meeting certain people you're, you're like, like things are just kind of aligning in a certain way. That's like, okay, it's time to go. It's time to do the thing. And then there's other times when you're just fitting a square peg in a round hole and, and everything crashes and burns, which is a a little bit of what happened to me. But I think a lot of it was the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, there's, there's sort of two things to riff on there. One is that like, first off, there's stuff that's bigger than us that we can't control. That's going to affect these decisions. The pandemic bigger than us, right? But I mean, also, when I started the company, like of all the things I listed, I forgot to list the fact that there had just been a real estate collapse in 2008. And the office we took over, which was a 6,000 square foot office, had been empty for a year. The landlords, who were two famous musicians who hated each other, wanted the money from it. Um, they tried to sell it, but they couldn't even agree on a price because they hated each other. So we got it for $1.65 a square foot. It was up for $3 a square foot. You could not get an office today for $1.65 a square foot. There's no way because of historic underfunding in construction, maybe uh, because of the remote work, you might get office deals, but like housing is way more expensive. You know, when we started this company, I I was paying 580 a month in rent in one bedroom of a three bedroom in K-Town. And then we took over this office that was costing us like, you know, I was on $20,000 a month in leases between three different buildings. And like, and, but we had all this space that you couldn't get today. So there are things bigger than us. But the flip side is, if I do have regrets, I mean, I've got a couple of regrets about my career. Everyone, everyone should. If you don't, I have a friend who likes to say, if you do, if you're batting a thousand, you're in the wrong league. Like nobody's going to pull off everything they do, right? If you're batting a thousand, you're playing little league. You gotta, you gotta accept you're going to fuck a lot of shit up. And also, regrets just means you tried shit. I have a couple of yeah. regrets about my career, and one of them is not being well enough positioned to take full advantage of things when they. Meaning, mm. like I had a thesis that was a hot shit thesis and went to a bunch of festivals and I got a bunch of meetings and mm-hmm. I didn't have a good feature script yet. I should have mm. sat on that thesis film for a year until I had a good feature script and those meetings would have been a much different set of meetings. If you're going to go to a writer's lab, the big thing you want out of a writer's lab is writing time, but also relationships and connections. You're going to have meetings there. They're going to introduce you to management. You're going to come out of that lab and there's going to be managers who every year ask to read what was written in the lab. 
you're going to want the space and opportunity in the months after that lab process to take advantage of all of the connections those labs are designed to give you. So if you have a full-time assistant job, and everybody knows assistant jobs are more than 40 hours a week, and that's part of life, you're not going to be as well set to take advantage of the things that lab can give you. And so, you know, my biggest hope is that the lab is good, but also that you feel prepared and available Mm -hmm. and ready for the things that come from it. Because I, you know, I had another thing. I had a feature that, you know, profitable feature, still making money. I still get checks. Very proud of that movie. Did not do any meetings out of it because I was too busy running a company. Mm. Right, right. Movie came out and I was like too busy with the day job to do any like shaking of the management tree, shaking of the agent, like any of the stuff that you should have done. I just did not do because I had employees. Right. Like we had to immediately go back to, okay, movie is out. All right. Now we're booking this job. And like a month later, I'm on set for another thing. And it's like, I love the idea that you will have the opportunity to properly capitalize on it. There's this intangible way of measuring the importance, uh, or I don't think you can even, it's hard to not be realize the importance of having the time and space to execute on these things because especially as filmmakers and people who have been freelance or are freelance it's we get rewarded for grinding away and taking on often more than we can chew and there's a great episode of the sam harris podcast called time management for mortals that came out uh, in the last month and uh, it's a different philosopher talking about basically how in order to succeed, we have to sometimes let things go. And, and and it changed the way I was thinking because I have been rewarded so much for grinding and taking on too much and working, you know, 80 hour weeks with side projects on top of that. And it's not sustainable. And so I really appreciate you calling that out, Charles. And this idea of like one for you and one for them feels like a way to be realistic about managing your time as a creator. So like if I just spent the last six months for them working for an, somebody that I have loved working for, and now I'm going to do the next six months for me, it's like similar to, you know, a project for you, a project for for them who's going to pay for the Aston I, Martin. I feel like we stumbled into something like so vast and wise, but but that is so briefly said in the middle of this, which is just that you don't, there's so many things you don't control. And like the hardest thing to come up against is the idea that you can make a decision that leads to certain things because you can't. Like you really can't make decisions that result in outcomes. Like you can make decisions that maybe change one little thing, the next little thing you do. But like the cascade from there is so completely out of your control. And the force of will of the universe. And it's kind of like where people end up like, well, part of God's plan or whatever that means to different people. But it's like the idea metaphorically that it's just like, uh, we don't get to decide like what's going to happen. We don't get to decide what, like we can try to take the big swing is sort of like we, we make a leap of faith, whatever, however you want to put it. We put it out there. We do our best. But like the what is the other one? The plans of mice and men or whatever. Like, so we don't really, again, it's just like, you could take the big swing. You could be screwed over quickly. You could then go into this internal tailspin of like, I shouldn't have taken the big swing. That was a terrible idea. It's like, not necessarily. Like, it's just like you took the big swing when it seemed like the time to do it. And then other things that have nothing to do with you 
happened as well. And now you're here. And I kind of think the only like Zen state or the only like flow you can be in is to be like, well, now I'm here. And what's now? Mm -hmm. Like, What's next? What's the thing I can do? Like, because the industry is going to keep like humbling you for, for most of us, for, for like 99% of us. <laughs> like, it's going to like, just like the universe is. And you're going to keep being reminded that like, nope, I don't decide. I don't dictate terms. I do my best in this, in my space. And, you know, like th there's going to be all kinds of factors that come in and, and, and rearrange everything for better and for worse, you know, like, so that I think like having that, you know, when people start to take the big swings and be like, be excited about it, but don't expect an outcome because there's no way to dictate. There's no way to know. But I also think the beauty of it is you, you just keep aiming at the center of the target. Like one thing a lot of people do is they aim at the side of the target, I think, because they're a little too afraid. So they're like, I want to be a writer director. So I will be like tangentially related to it. And I'll write like entertainment news or I'll, like I'm aiming at the side of the target. And it's like, no, the universe will push you off target. Mm. So just keep aiming mm. back at the center of the target and you will keep getting pushed off, but aim at the center. And like this writer's lab is aiming at the center of the target for you, which is always a good thing yeah. because 100%. you will get knocked off and then you will re have to re-aim at the center of the target again. And then you'll get knocked off. I feel like I need to like place a target right in my view to remember that. <laughs> yeah, we all do. We yeah. All do. And it's, it's just important to know what the target is. Like what is, what yeah. is, what does it look like to be uh, where you want to be? And I think a lot of times if we're honest with ourselves, it's, we're not that far off. It just takes time. It takes mm -hmm. time. And, and um, uh, my, my, my friend Mike has written on a board man, man in the arena. And what he means by that is, I'm in the arena. I'm, I'm, I'm playing the game. It might not be in the role that I want to at this point, but I know people who are, and I, I, I'm working towards it, and that's okay. And like, just find peace in that. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's. I mean, he's referencing Theodore Roosevelt. Oh, I'm sure right? he is. A yeah, he, he's a big. Oh, really? He's a big Teddy Roosevelt fan. So I I didn't I didn't I didn't know that about Teddy uh, Roosevelt the quote. fan. Oh, it's a great quote. I'll I'll post the link in the show notes. It's a great. The man in the arena is a great. Well, that's, quote. that's that's of, what he was of, talking about. But yeah, I I think it's you know if if you're out there and you're thinking about taking a big swing, I think the the big the big thing is just like just take a take stock of everything going on in your life and 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 you'll know if it makes sense or not you'll know and and it might take like a certain amount of risk but if you can mitigate the risk by taking in incremental changes go for it if you can't if you got to take a big big old swing make sure you got a little bit of a safety net and you'll be fine and if nothing else you'll land in a place where you'll have to claw yourself back out again but it, during that phase you'll find growth and you'll be better for it so i mean that's that's my take on it and you might end up on the No Film School podcast. Like, Todd. there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, that's right. I mean, I think we're all here because of swings, right? A yeah. Percent. I well, I yeah, I know I am. <laughs> <laughs> One way or I another, would, it wasn't what you thought, maybe. But then suddenly, when I was there. planning my first big swing, which was to pursue, let myself be creative. Period. Because I didn't do that my whole life until I was twenty-seven. I listened to the No Film School podcast. I was like, oh, what should I listen to if I want to try this thing? I don't know nothing. So I like subscribed years ago. So. Wow. That's, that's I that's had fun. You, wait, way to save that reveal until you'd been participating for months. Also, 27 is not that old. I know. 27 is not that I know. old. I mean, I'm, like you say your whole life you weren't creative. And I'm like, that's effectively five adult years, I, 22 to 27. <laughs> and you're like, forget. okay, so for five I don't think adult your brain... years. 
I've had five When years. does your brain fully form? <laughs> like probably, 25? Probably 27. <laughs> 46. Like, yeah. 46 like Isn't it something? Sh- <laughs> I haven't done a, like, you know, because my daughter was born. I didn't do a project in 2018 to 2022. So like four years just went by. Blink of an eye. I mean, I did a bunch of little client work in there yeah. and that can still feel creative. I mean, the other thing is you find ways to get satisfaction in all sorts of places. Yeah. Like 2018 to 2022 is like time between big narrative storytelling projects. But like, Client work can also be really, like I did a fashion spot in July that everybody loved and was super happy with, and it's already live. And it's mm-hmm. like that feels also great. Like it's still satisfying can, in its own way. Can I tell, can I give a little plug for the way that I've been staying creative while I haven't been able to write the last couple of yes, months? Um, outside of like finishing a couple edits, I've been cooking. I have the Molly Bass cookbook, and there's something so satisfying about starting a project, finishing it, enjoying it. And then not sharing it with anyone else. And it's like the same satisfaction of making a short, but in, 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 in an truncated hour. form. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm huge in a cook. I've always said cooking is, is like, is very much like cinematography. Like I find parallels there quite a bit. You're like, oh, this needs a bit more of this. This needs a bit more of that. It feels like my head goes in the same place that I am when I'm placing lights and stuff. And, and I think it, you, you could say the same about any other creative form. It's like, Cooking is a really good because filmmaking takes so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I like I like having that like at the end of the, end of the day, cook, cooking something really, really good. And it's like this singular expression of something. Um, but it's so, yeah. even more like cinematography because it's also done in prep. Yeah. If you didn't mm. go out and find the fun pancetta from that place in East Village that like they don't deliver. And if you didn't go out and like figure all the things out, then you're just cooking with like and it's like. And yes, everyone's well, it's fun to just be like, all right, what is here? And I will figure it out, which happens in cinematography too. But yeah. it's all prep. Yeah, it's exactly. all prep. One of my favorite metaphors that anybody's dropped on me was in the interview with Walter Murch, which is one of my favorite interviews. But he said that he thought editing was like cooking. Mm. Oh, for sure. Because he said like Francis Ford Coppola was like the hunter gatherer. And he'd bring back to the camp all these ingredients. The, the, and the Walter Murch would look at him and be like, I got to figure out what to cook with this stuff. Yeah. Like these are my ingredients and I don't, I'll, I'll go like taste all of them and then I'll put them together and I'll find a way to turn it into a meal. And yeah. I like that. Which w- takes why? us back because to the, it's from Walter Merch. So the spaghetti of the Godfather. So we have some plans yes. that can pay off, but also yes. it takes me back. Did so it. I've been lately like mise en scène and we talked about mise en scène earlier in this podcast. I, I just call it mise because in Anthony Bourdain's kitchen confidential, he talks about mise en place, which is the cooking, like, all of the things I've assembled. He just calls it mise. And apparently it's like New York chef slang. And I always feel ridiculous saying mise en scène, but mm-hmm. I'm totally comfortable just saying mise. And it's like talking about the mise. So I'm just going to start spreading that here that I think we should just start saying mise en scène as mise. mise. I also think we should start asking everyone we interview what their favorite dish is to cook. Because I bet there's a large correlation between cooking and filmmaking because you get that great immediate satisfaction of yep. I made it today. I'm eating it today. It is like, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's a good one. Love me some cooking. All right. Th- that, this week has been the Mies. That's the name of the episode. No one will know what it means till the end. Um, we're going to get to hiring next week. We're going to do that thing <laughs> where we eventually get to it. We, we promise we will eventually talk about lessons we've recently learned in hiring. Uh, I've but I, much I, more I guarantee you we'll end up talking about some other dumb thing. Discovery, HBO plus Max <laughs> plus yeah. Silver Edition, what they're doing. Yeah. yeah, we'll cover the news as well. Yeah, we'll the get dumb that. things, that aka the news. And there's still no tech news because <laughs> IBC is in two weeks, and everybody is just sitting on everything good until IBC. Ooh. And then when IBC comes, we might do an all tech news episode 
because I bet there's going to be a lot because there's been it's been dry in town. Yeah. Um, so it'll be a big IBC this year, I think. That's this week on the No Film School podcast. I am on the internet at Charles Hain uh, on Twitter and YouTube are my favorites. I never post on Instagram, but you know, it, I'm also there. <laughs> I'm at Lost in Graceland. Also, if you're in LA, the sketch show for abortion access is uh, coming to the Dynasty Typewriter in two weeks, a week and a half. And we have a ton of sketches from people all over the country and all over the world coming in, including some No Film School listeners, which is cool. Um, So come see it or watch it online and all donations or tickets get doubled for abortion access funds. Yay. Nice. That's awesome. Well, mine's not as cool, but I'm Todd. I'm Todd Blankenship. You can find me at Am I Filmmaker on YouTube and Instagram. And I'm George Edelman, editor in chief at No Film School. And you can find everything we talked about today and more at NoFilmSchool.com. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a comment and send your questions to editor at NoFilmSchool.com. We love getting the questions. We've been doing all these other topics, guys. We haven't done questions in a while, but but we definitely enjoy it. Actually, we also like comments if you want to correct us or argue with us or whatever. Or compliment or us. Or send now us a message that, on YouTube. Do, do, tell us do how that in the comments and the ratings. Yeah. And send us a recipe. Yeah. Sure. Let's talk about cooking. Yeah. I like cooking with the microwave. If any so of you are like really good at root beer ribs, Ooh. hook me up. I, I'm very curious about some root beer ribs options. Uh, and be sure to check us out on Facebook and Twitter and all that other good stuff. And YouTube, because this will be on YouTube Whoa. also. So like, rate, and subscribe to that, folks. Exciting. <laughs> all Welcome right. to 2014. <laughs> yes. We did it.